my kids asked me, he goes, Dad, why are you sitting down? You've never sat down in your life. I said, because my arms hurt. <laughs> and if I'm standing, I'm doing all this number constantly. This makes me calm down a little bit. So just uh, we'll get through this. Just a phase, right? A phase I'm like, can't wait for it to end. It is what it is. But uh, we're getting through it. Every, uh, every Tuesday and Thursday, I go to cardiac therapy where they're working my upper body. So every Wednesday and Friday, I'm dying. So, and then uh, by the time you feel halfway good Monday, it starts all over again. Every week, they increase the resistance and the amount of time you have to do on each of the machines. It's like, oh, it is helping, but it is also hurting. <laughs> they say, no pain, no gain, right? So we've got to go through it. Anyway, thank you all for praying. God is working. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn. Oh, don't turn there yet. I want to just ask you a couple questions. If I were to ask you the question, what is it that you long for above anything else in this world? What would be your answer? I would dare say that if we're being honest with ourselves, we have to, you know, is this a trick question? Is Pastor trying to get some spiritual answer out of us? No. Just what is it that you would really long for above anything else in this world? And I would also dare say that based on our age, that answer is going to be quite different from an older person, say, to a, a younger person. And uh, it probably might, might vary quite significantly, honestly, right? Uh, I know that uh, younger folks might desire a good job with good pay and good benefits. I mean, that sounds like what most young people want, right? We're starting out of life. I remember I could not wait when I was in junior high to get into senior high. And when I was in senior high, I couldn't wait to graduate and get to college. And got to college, I mean, we're barely starting in college. You can't wait for it to graduate. And you can't wait to graduate so you can get married. And then you can't wait to get married until you have kids. And then you can't wait to have that until you get your job. And it's just like, it's just like you never stop for wanting the next thing, right? I mean, it seems like... That's just how we're designed. That's how our brains work, is that we want that next thing that's going to make us happy and make us jo- you know, have joy and satisfaction. But, you know, a lot of us younger folks, we, you know, we want a good job with good pay and good benefits. And if it doesn't have that, we kind of keep looking until we find it, whatever it is that, you know, satisfies what we're looking for. You know, middle-aged folks, it changes a little bit. You know, with a little bit better job comes a little bit nicer car and a little bit nicer car and a little bit nicer house to put it in a nicer neighborhood. You know, you know, kind of move out of that starter home into a little bit nicer home. Maybe some of you never left the starter home. And uh, maybe some of you never got the home. I don't know. But it seems like you get into the middle age and all of a sudden our desires change just a little bit. And we want that next step. And maybe it's a, I don't know, as you grow older, you're, maybe your interest turned, you know, from your, what you really desire is time with family, right? I, I think that's where we're at. You know, Don and I, you know, we, we kept talking about, you know, She's always accused me of, like, wanting the next thing, and she's not wrong. I mean, she's not, I'm just, I'm a guy, right? I mean, let's, let's be honest. But when in terms of ministry, she goes, just about the time we get settled in and everything's going good, you're going to find another church. No, I'm, I love my church. I mean, if I could up and move every one of you that are here today to Montana, out in the middle of nowhere, and still be the pastor of Harvest Bible out in the middle of Montana in the wilderness somewhere, I would love that. But since I can't, I'm, I'm staying here till you fire me. And uh, so that, that may not be far away, I don't know. But, uh, I, you know, but we, we dreamed of that day where we would come together and then, you know, all of our kids would be here and all of our kids would start having their kids and we'd start having our grandkids. And, you know, we dream of that. And all of a sudden, lo and behold, David decides to move to Texas. I mean, and then with David moving to Texas, we know that Brianna's probably you know, a year behind, so we're going to lose her. You know, she's family now. And then uh, 
you know, Bubba, he moved to North Dakota, and of course Andrea's probably going to end up going there someday when they get married. She's going to go out there. And we're like, what, what is happening? All these plans of like spending time with our kids and having the grandkids is like all falling apart right before us. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Appreciate that. Nothing more from the peanut gallery. Um, so, any rate, so all these plans and you know these things that we look forward to, these things that we desire, and they're not bad things; they're good things, and we desire them. But you know, our interests change, and we want that time with family, and we want those weekend getaways, and we want those, you know, summer sunshine in the middle of winter, which I haven't got yet. But you know, I have no interest in doing that. But maybe some of you are more spiritual than that. I don't know. Maybe some of you are like, you know. I just, no, none of those material things bother me. None. I don't, I don't want that. You're, you're, you're far more spiritual than me. I'm just saying. Um, I, in the middle of recuperating from those first month or two after heart surgery, I had a couple of people come up to me and say, Pastor, you must just be loving all this free time to read the Bible and pray. No, I'm just not that spiritual. I'm, I'm just being honest. I mean, I was just struggling to read. I mean, I got this stack of books next to my lazy boy that I'm holding down to make sure it doesn't go anywhere. You know, I'm just holding this thing down, wanting all the, and, I, and every time I picked up a book or my Bible to read, it's like, no. I, I just couldn't concentrate on it. My brain would not let me read it or focus. And even if I could read it, the words were jumping all over the page. I'm like, maybe I was just more spiritual than me, but I, I was a struggle. But what is it that we really long for? Some of you might be thinking, Pastor, you're not even on the ball, in the ballpark of what I desire. And that may be true. Fair enough. But when I, I was challenged again this week as I was reading through Psalm 42. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 42. We're going to look at the first couple of verses. I'm not going to preach long this morning. Right. Um, so turn to Psalm 42. I believe that what we're about to read in Psalm 42 transcends every age group. Really, it does. And it's something that all of us should honestly desire. So Psalm 42, I'm just going to look at the first three verses. Draw a couple things out of it that maybe we can apply to our hearts and our lives, learn from, and uh, see what God has for us. So before we look into that, in fact, let's just, let me read the first three verses, and then we'll have a word of prayer and get started this morning. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so, my, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, Where is your God? Lord, I pray as we look at your word this morning, that Lord, that you would not only challenge us, but change us. Lord, I pray that our desires would be the same desires that you have for us. And Lord, that we would truly want to draw close to you. That our desire would be, Lord, to, to know you and to, to walk with you and to fellowship with you. And to, Lord, be in, a, as we say, a love relationship with you as our Heavenly Father and we as your bride. I ask God that you would work in our hearts to, to allow that to be the case today. Teach us where we have failed so that we may improve and, and learn. And God, I just pray that we would not walk out of here, Lord, just being challenged, but that we'd walk out being changed. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So notice the picture here in Psalm 42, verse 1 especially. I think every one of us can imagine this scenery unfolding in front of us. In fact, uh, if you know me, I, I love my little Polaris. I, I call it my little buggy. But what I like to do with it is I take it to the back soccer field and I just kind of park it in the middle of the soccer field and I just sit there. And you say, what in the world are you doing? Have you lost your mind? Some would argue that. But I'm just sitting out there relaxing and taking in the scenery. And I was just saying to somebody, I love this property. I mean, when I first moved here, I thought I had died and gone to heaven. 
that first year I moved here, I was sitting looking out the window of the, of the fellowship hall. I saw like eight deer. I saw a hawk sitting on top of the uh, soccer net. I saw a family of fox running across the middle of the soccer field. I saw a turkey right below, the, like 10 turkey right below the, the, the handicap ramp. And I'm thinking, what in the world? I just died and got into heaven. For a hunter and outdoorsman to see that many animals in the backyard of the church, that was awesome. And so I'm like, I love this property. And I'm just sitting there. So last night I'm sitting out there in the middle of the soccer field just, just kind of looking around. And all of a sudden right over here to the left, this year's deer fawns come walking out of the woods. And they were barely bigger than Andrea's new little Scotty. They were just tiny. And I thought to myself, those little things are cute. So I run back to the house and I tell Don what I just saw. And she goes, I hope the fox don't get them. Listen, don't ruin my moment. You know, I'm just admiring these tiny little doe, and she's like, I hope the fox don't get them. You know, um, so you look at you can kind of picture this, you know, and, and especially if you've walked through these woods at all, I and mean, probably none of you have, I have, um, but there's water all over in the woods, and you see the deer running through here on a regular basis. But, you know, when you picture in your mind here, just for a moment, you picture this, the deer thirsty from going through the woods, from wandering through, and they're panting for water. It's really a simple concept to understand, right? The deer are wandering, they're going on their trails, and now they're thirsty. And he gives us a picture to put into our minds. And he just simply says this, So pants my soul for you, O God. And once again, I think to myself, I'm just not that spiritual sometimes. My mind's on a million other things. Anybody else relate? I mean, I'm thinking about, I mean, I actually looked at my stock market thing for the first time in a year. That was a mistake. Um, I mean, I'm just sitting there looking at that thing down. Whoop, whoop, whoop. And like, you know, and then I'm thinking about David out in you know Texas because that kid, I love him to death, but I, I I can't stop thinking about him. You know, he's out there in Texas, and I'm thinking, how's Bubba's new job going in North Dakota? And my mind's everywhere, but on what it should be on. Because what is the base of being able to handle everything else in life? Being nourished by the Word of God, right? Anybody agree? This is what sustains us. In fact, he says earlier in the Psalms, he said, it is my, he said I esteem this, the Word of the Lord more necessary than my daily food. But I wonder if we really do believe that. Do we really believe that the Word of God can sustain us in all the other areas of life? Or if we're so focused on everything else that this kind of gets, well, the leftovers, as I was talking with somebody the other day. We, we live in a culture where this gets the leftover. If I have time, I'll read the Bible. If I have time, I'll pray. I, I don't know about you, but giving God leftovers at the end of the day for praying, that, there is no better sleep medication. I'm just telling you. I mean, you want to go to sleep fast, start praying at 10 o'clock at night. You're, you're out. You don't need sleep medicine, trust me. But here's the thing. He says, so pants my soul for you, O God. The whole word pants, it's not a word we use every day in our English vernacular, but it really means two things. It means to cry for or to long after. In fact, if you actually go back into the Hebrew, it means to ascend. In other words, there is somebody who is up high and we are ascending to them in humility. That's what it literally means. But the everyday 
practical application of that is that it means to cry for or to long after. So in my mind, I picture a hot sunny day where work was accomplished and you've sweat in such a manner that your clothes are drenched and sweats, beads, beads of sweat are coming down your face and uh, you know, running down, you're out of energy, you've exerted yourself, and now you're just incredibly thirsty. And you just want a big gulp of water. Will a teaspoon suffice? Mm-mm. In fact, for me, I don't know how it is for you, but I love Diet Mountain Dew, but even in that, Diet Pop doesn't do it for me. It's got to be water. When you're thirsty and exhausted and your shirt is wet and your pants are wet and you just sweat like a dog, you want water because it quenches your thirst. Not just a little bit because a little bit doesn't suffice. I mean, that's just a teaser. I mean, can you imagine just for a moment, he says, you know, as it says in Luke where, where the where this beggar just says, if you just drip my finger in water in the drip, tell me what that, what, what is that going to do? Absolutely Nothing. In fact, I dare say that if he were to able to get that water from the finger from that glass of water to his mouth, by the time he got there, it would be evaporated. And nothing there. Let me ask you a question. Do you think the, the deer that was panting for the water books just wanted a little, just a little drop? No. He wanted to quench his thirst. And he said, in the same way, my soul pants for you. In that same way as the deer pants for the water brooks, in the same way that you would long for water after working hard in the sun, the psalmist says his soul longs for God. He says it right there in verse 1. So my soul pants for you, O God. He says my soul cries after. It longs for you. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where you actually have felt that. It's not a normal feeling, I don't think. There's a million other things you want. Let's be honest. There's a million other things. Nice motorcycle, nice truck, nice house, better job, more, better bank account, whatever. I mean, you, there's a million things you can put in there. How often do we think about our soul just longing for the living God? That's an amazing concept to consider. Is that natural? I don't think it is. I don't think that's a natural desire. There's a million other things that seem like they're more natural to us. I don't know about you, but I don't think this type of thirst is a natural thing that we just naturally long for. I've caught myself more in the last couple of years saying, Lord, teach me or give me the desire to want to know you more. Because in my flesh, I want to do a million other things. So God, would you teach me? Would you give me that desire? Would you put that desire within me so that I want to do what's right? So that my flesh will... I mean, my flesh wants... Remember the concept, if one is good, three is better. I'm just... That's a lifetime of learning, right? One hot dog is good, three is better. One diet Mountain Dew is good, three is better. One dollar is good, three is better. There's a million things I'd rather have but do I desire what is good for me? Hot dogs aren't necessarily good for me. Diamond Dew is not necessarily good for me. The Word of God is good for me. The things that are good for us, we don't often desire naturally. Secondly, he says this. What is it that the psalmist thirsts for? He thirsts for the living God. In fact, in Psalm 63, 1, he says, Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. 
My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. You see, we're going to find out here just in these couple of verses that there's a struggle taking place. We're going to come to that in just a moment. So he asks this question, when shall I come and appear before God? Look at it. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? So there's this tension that is here. And here's the tension. I want the living God, but when am I going to get Him? You see this? There's a struggle taking place. Let me ask this question. Maybe I can put it in a way that you might be practical enough for every one of us just to understand this. How many of you ever wanted something, but you didn't want to wait for it? Raise your hand. All of us. How many of you wanted something, but you thought it was never going to come? Even though you know the truth, it feels like it's not going to take place. I think that's where the psalmist is at. I think there's a mental anguish taking place. There's an emotional struggle taking place here. He says, my soul is thirsting for the living God. When am I going to see you? Now, question. Did God ever leave him? I don't think so. Have you ever felt like God is a million miles away even though you feel he's a million miles away, you know he's near? Anybody ever felt that? I have. In fact, Paul and I have had this conversation numerous times. Like, God, what are you doing? I know you know what you're doing, but can you let me in on it? I feel like you're a million miles away, even though I know that you said you'd never leave me nor forsake me. He says, if you draw nigh unto me, I will draw nigh unto you. I factually know these things, but living it out is a different story. Because what I feel is not lining up with what I know. And that's the tension. And I think that's the tension the psalmist is going through here. He says, my soul thirsts for the God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before He goes, God, I, 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 I want you, but when, when am I actually going to be able to meet with you? I never picked up on that before. Maybe this is just me, but I believe what I'm about to say is correct. I believe that the psalmist's heart was in the right place, but he was struggling to find God Himself. I've been there. Anyone else? I know what I know, but I don't feel what I know. And they're not lining up. And that's a struggle sometimes. Because I want to feel as much as I want to know. And it just doesn't work that way sometimes. He says in Psalm 84, I'm giving you just a second to get over here, in Psalm 84, verse 2, he says, My soul longs, just even faints for the court of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. And then he goes on to say, Even the sparrow has found a home and a swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even your altars are a Lord of hosts. My King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. There's this concept of, I, I, I mean, everyone else seems to have it together. Everyone else seems to see your presence or feel your presence, but I'm feeling distant. I hate that feeling. And then you feel like, the guilt of not being as close as you should be, right? Anybody felt that? That's a struggle. Everyone else seems to have it all together. I mean, the birds have their nests and the swallows have their nests. And Where's my home? Where's my presence with God? Where's my time with Him? And that's a struggle sometimes. The psalmist was not wanting to see anything but God. 
And he reminds us that of Psalm 63.1. He says, early I will seek thee. And then thirdly, the psalmist says that his tears have been his food day and night. How many of you have read that passage before? Raise your hand. Have you anybody wondered what that means? Yeah, anybody? All two of you? There you go. Um, it's an unusual statement being made here. He says that his tears have been his food. What could he possibly mean by that? It's, I don't think it's super complicated personally. The psalmist is literally stating that he has wept and cried over this situation. And I think, just stopping right there for a minute, I've done that. I'm, I'm, in fact, just this morning, about four different times, I, there's this thing that I don't know. I, it's, some of you that are way smarter than me know what this is. I just don't know what it is. And it's this. After heart surgery, you just start crying for no reason. Anybody ever seen that? It's the craziest thing. I'm sitting there and I'm sitting there crying my eyes out. My wife's looking at me and goes, what's wrong? You tell me, we'll both know. Just start bawling for no reason. It's like, yeah, big six foot three Ken is just crying for no reason. It it happens all the time. Like four times this morning. I'm just sitting there like talking. (laughs) It's like, Lord, please, (laughs) this is is not right. This is not not right at all. But I'm sitting there and I'm like, ah. Oh. You cry sometimes, though, when you don't understand what's taking place. You cry because you don't understand what God is doing. You cry because there's desires that you don't feel are going to be met. You cry because, quite honestly, your feelings have been hurt. You cry for a lot of different reasons. And we see here that the psalmist says, my tears. Remember, I personally think there's some mental struggle going on here. There's some mental anguish. He desires to see God, and he says, but when am I going to be able to see you? And there's a disconnect between what he wants and what he's getting. And now he's saying, I am crying over this. My tears have been my meat. I I don't think it's real hard. But it's though as he was weeping, he was being sustained by the very tears that were falling from his eyes. How many of you have ever cried hard enough for the tears to come down and it gets into your lips and you feel the taste the salt of the tears? I have. And you think to yourself, why am I crying? Or you think, I can't stop crying? Or when are things going to change? And, and the mental struggle. And he says, the tears have been my meat. It's the tears that have sustained me. I dare say that not many of us in this room have experienced anything like this or have a desire something, uh, to do something so great that you have wept over it. I asked this question yesterday. I was speaking at a conference yesterday just for a little bit and on repentance. And in one of the verses, he says, the repentance brought me to tears. And I wonder when's the last time we've had tears over something that was on our heart. We cry because we're frustrated. We cry because we're angry, right? Those are real tears. But do we cry over wanting something that is good for us, like the presence of God? Because we want it, and it's not happening. Maybe if you're honest with me, I'm, like, I'm just not that spiritual. <laughs> I got way too much flesh fighting my spirit that, to want that. I mean, I'd much rather have a steak dinner right now than spend 
you know, 30 minutes in prayer and reading God's Word. That's a struggle. Because our flesh is so strong. Paul said it over and over again. The things that I want to do are the things I don't do. And the things I shouldn't do are the things I catch myself doing. Romans 8. But he also goes on to say, they that mind the things of the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. And they that mind the things of the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. And what that teaches us is that every day it's a choice of where we are going to put our minds. The decisions that we're going to make. And every decision we make, every choice we make, will have its own set of consequences, right? But it's a daily choice as to whether or not I'm going to feed the flesh or I'm going to feed the Spirit and long for those things. But I wonder if we really just weep to be in the presence of God. It's not natural. But it's something that we should learn from the Psalms here and that's something that would be good. And we're going to go through part of the other other parts of Psalm 42 later. But I want all of us to just stop and pause here for just for a moment and be honest with yourself. I want you to be honest with yourself. Do we, do you, do I honestly desire God more than anything else that is in this world? What hinders us from wanting that? I was just thinking last night, at least four things came to my mind. Things that hinder me from wanting more of the presence of God. First one is found in 1 John 2, 15-17. He says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. The things of this world will distract us if we're not careful. And I don't know about you, but... Squirrel! I mean, it's just that fast. Distraction. I mean, you can be at the best of intentions. And I don't know about you, but... I don't know. I, I think I had ADHD before that was ever a thing. I mean, I can remember in high school trying to stay focused. I just couldn't do it to save my life. I didn't know that was a thing then. Probably got it and don't know it. I mean, I don't know. But I just find myself... I want to do something. I mean, reading the. I'm going to take my Bible out. I'm going to. I'm going to get that. Get that in there for the day and get my time with God there. I'm going to spend some time in prayer. Three minutes later, I'm already thinking about what I'm going to do next. Distractions. And they're usually on things that are around us, things of the world. And he says, all that is in this world—the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life—is not of the Father but is of this world, and the world is passing away. And so he very clearly says there are things that are eternal and there are things that are temporal. And he says, bottom line is, which one is in which category is going to be defined by fire. Fire will be the test of what is temporal and what is eternal. And we've said before, there's only two things that will span the time test of eternity, and that's the Word of God and the souls of men. Everything else will be tried by fire and be found to be worthless. But the things of this world, if we're not careful, will distract. And it distracts that fast. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, he says this, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate the one and love the other, or else you will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, or God and material goods, or God and money, or God and anything else. If I were to ask you, what is it that distracts you more than anything? from being fully devoted to Jesus, you know what it is. For some of you, it's an addiction. 
And your addiction doesn't have to be something like pornography or drugs or alcohol. Your addiction can be TV. Your addiction can be a hobby. Your addiction can be any number of things. But you know what it is. You know what distracts you. You know what the very thing is that grabs your attention that fast every day. But he says you can't have two masters. I don't know about you, but it's easy to have another master. And for that master to become an idol in your life. What's an idol? Anything that you give more time and attention and focus to has the potential of being an idol in your life. What is it that gets more time, attention, and focus and energy than God in your life? It has the potential of being your idol that distracts you. And we need to be careful of that because you can't have two masters. And as a child of God, he had to be our first and primary master, right? That's why he says, I bought you with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and spirit, which are his, right? We're not our own beings to do whatever we want with. We belong to him as his child. How about Luke fourteen twenty six and 27? Here's one that's really hard pill to swallow. In fact, about seven years ago, I mentioned this verse, and the guy came to me and he says, God would never say that. God would never expect that. Yeah, it's in his word, so I'm pretty sure he said it. It says this, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. I mean, I didn't say God said it. Right? He says, if you don't love me more by comparison, you can't be my disciple. Think about that. That's pretty strong language. And he wasn't playing games when he said it. He said, I want you to understand, you have to love me more than you love anything else. By comparison, it ought to look like you hate them in comparison to your love for me. And whoever does not bear his cross, I mean, what are the things that you are willing to sacrifice and, and set aside for the cause of Christ? I mean, it's, I mean <laughs> when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. I mean, we can't wait to get to heaven, but we can't stand to worship him down here some days. It's truth. We don't open our mouth about him. We don't want to talk to our neighbor about him because, you know, my faith is private. Was God's son on the cross private? No. It was very public. His love was public. But whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Wow. That's some pretty strong language. But, once again, distractions that keep us from longing for what we know we need. Last one, Luke 21, verse 34 and 35 says this, But take heed to yourself, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life, and that the day come on you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. You say, well, I'm not out carousing. Awesome. Not out and being involved in drunkenness. Cool. Let me ask you a question. Are you burdened down with the cares of this life? My hand's up. Two hands and a foot. So I'm not involved in drunkenness. I'm not out in carousing. I'm not out in drugs and alcohol and sex and immorality. But the cares of this life distract. How many know the cares of this life are real? I mean, bills get paid every month whether you got enough or not, right? That's real. Car break down, that's real. Someone get irritated at you, that's real. There's real things that happen that are the cares of this life. 
but the cares of the life shouldn't control us. Because who's in control of it? If we have surrendered everything to God, listen, I'm going to go back to another passage that you've heard misconstrued a million times in your life. Romans 8, 28 and 29. We hear verse 28, but we don't hear verse 29 goes with it. All things work together good. What, what, what do you think all means in the Greek language? All. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty simple. Not too difficult. All things work together for good to them that are called according to his purpose, right? But he goes on verse 29. He says that we might be conformed to the image of his Son. Every trial I go through, every difficulty I face, every circumstance that I would never choose, if we love God enough to trust Him with our life, He'll use it to make us more like His Son. you believe that? Because that's what His Word says. He'll take every circumstance in our life, the things that you would never choose. How many of you are going through things that you didn't choose? Raise your hand. Yeah. I think every one of us are facing things that we would never pick. Uh, if here's a list of things, you know, these are all good things, these are okay things, these are great things, we're going great for, right for the great things. But in that list of things that we wouldn't choose, physical health problems, relationship problems, financial problems, ain't none of us signing up for those. Right? We don't want those. We ain't picking those. We want God's blessing. Perfect relationships where we never fight. All the finances for everything we'd ever want in life. That's a check, 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 baby. That's what we're picking. But do I love God enough? Because he says everything works together for good to them that love him. There's, 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 there's the foundation. Do I love God enough to trust him that he's going to use everything that happens in my life for his own glory to make me more like his son? And that means in the struggle... And in the difficulty that we would never choose, he's chiseling away. He's, he's working on you in some areas that you don't want to be chipped away at. And he's teaching you some things. But the teaching only comes after the surrender. God, I love you, and I trust you that you're going to do whatever you need to do in my life. But that only comes through surrender. So the cares of this life. He says, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. These things, if we give in to them, if we give in to the carousing, the drunkenness, allowing the cares of this life to dominate our lives, he says, these things will come as a snare to us. I don't want to be caught in a snare. I don't like traps. Not on me anyway. I want to walk freely. And the freedom comes through surrender. He says, I am come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly, right? The freedom comes only through surrender. Notice lastly in verse 3 again in our text in Psalm 42. He says, my tears have been my food day and night. And here's the phrase that catches us off guard. The last part of verse 3. While they continually say to me, where is your God? What does that imply? That phrase presupposes this fact. There are those on the outside that are watching us go through what we're going through. And they're making fun of us because, well, where's your God now? You're going through this struggle. Where's God in all this? How we respond to things matters. Right? It matters. It's like they're making fun of you. 
while they, the infamous, infamous they, continually say to me, where is your God? I mean, you're going through all this. Where is God now? I mean, come on, you say that God is real. Where is He? You're not acting like He's real. <laughs> Let's not give the doubters, the haters, the naysayers a reason to doubt God's presence in our life. Let's draw in. Let's lean into God during the difficult days. Can I just challenge all of us? I I challenge myself with this. There's a big distinction between what I know and what I feel. You agree? There's a big distinction between what I know and what I feel. So we hold on to what we know and we let go of what we feel at times. Because feelings don't suffice. There's a lot of days I don't feel good. There's a lot of days I don't feel like God's presence is here. There's a lot of days I don't feel like God is doing anything in this circumstance that I keep praying over. And by the way, don't be weary in well-doing because in due season you'll reap if you what? Don't faint. Sometimes God doesn't answer when we want Him to answer. Sometimes God doesn't answer how we want Him to answer. Sometimes God answers in a way that is far better than what we asked for. But regardless of what God does, He'll do it for His own glory and for our good. What He does is for His own glory and our good. Even the difficult things. Because He says, I am working through all these things. The question is, Are we going to continually say, I desire to do what is right and draw and lean into the presence of God or fight it and go in the flesh and live by my feelings? It's a struggle. You see that, right? It's a struggle for the psalmist here. It wasn't easy. If it was easy, everyone would do it. So they say. It's a struggle. And some days you just feel like, I just don't see where this is going. But we lean into what we know, not what we feel, right? So he says, As a deer pants for the water brook, so so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for the living God. He goes, I don't know when it's gone, when I'm going to be able to see him, but I'm I'm, going to keep doing that. I don't know when I'm, when, I don't know when I'm going to feel like I'm in his presence, but I'm going to keep longing for it. And I don't care what anyone else thinks. They may be out there saying, where is your God? But factually, I know that He says in His Word, draw nigh unto me and I will draw nigh unto you. I know in His Word He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm going to lean into what I know, not what I feel. And when we do that, God will work. Once again, it may not be how we want Him to or when we want Him to, but He will work. Amen? Lord, I pray that you'd help us learn this truth, Lord, that life is not easy. That things happen that we don't desire, but when our desires are right before you, you're there in our presence. You're there helping us. You're there with us. And Lord, even in Scripture, we see someone who struggled 
with the fact that what they wanted was not what they were seeing. Many of us are going through circumstances of life that we want one thing, but we're seeing something else. And I pray, God, that we would not lose heart, that we would not faint, that we would truly see your hand at work, even though it's hard. So, God, would you work in our hearts? Just going to ask for a moment that our heads are be bowed and our eyes closed, just giving you an opportunity as we do each and every week to respond to what you've heard. I don't know what's going on in all your lives. I have, there's no way I can. But it might be a circumstance to say, Pastor, I'm struggling with some of these things that you're talking about. Can I just challenge you, if you're in that category, to not give up? Based on the authority of God's Word, don't give up. God is there. God is at work. And He may be doing some things in your life that are very unpleasant at the present. But lean into what you know, not what you feel. Say, Pastor Ken, there's some things I'm struggling with. Would you pray for me? I'm not embarrassed. I'm not call you up. It's just pray for me. Yes. All over the auditorium. Yes. Anyone else? Lifted hands. Say, pray for me. I'm struggling. Yes. Back, sides. Lord God, you've seen many hands go up this morning. It just tells us that all of us, or many of us, are going through circumstances that are not easy. Circumstances that we would never choose. But I pray that our heart would be like the psalmist who said, I long for the living God. I long to see God do something in my presence. I long to draw close to Him. And God, I pray that we would not be distracted by the cares of this world. I pray, God, that You would help us to see Your presence. So, Lord, I pray for each one who raised their hand, their heart towards you this morning, Lord, that you would just allow them to see your hand at work in their lives. I pray, God, that if they haven't surrendered the circumstance to you, whatever the situation may be, that today might be a day that they would say, God, I give this to you. Lord, I can relate to the psalmist. What I want is not what I'm seeing. But, Lord, I trust what I know, not what I feel. So God, I pray you be with each one. Allow them to see your presence. And God, I pray that you would just show yourself strong. Lord, I don't know what everyone's going through. But I know that you're a great God. I know that you're a God that loves us and cares for us. I know that you're a God who wants what's best for us. And I pray, God, that you would Show yourself strong this week in these circumstances. Pray these things in your precious holy name. In Jesus' name, amen.